Amen. This morning we're finishing up this series, this all-in series. And this is our theme for the year, and it wasn't by accident. This all-in theme is about being all-in with Jesus Christ. You know, and what does that mean? What does it mean to be completely sold out for him? When he takes over every part of your life, when you release to him, you relinquish to him every part of your life. This is the series that we're in, and we're finishing it up today. And just by way of review, remember we began the series with, Are You Lukewarm? Figuring out where are we in our walk with Jesus Christ. Are we lukewarm where we're neither hot nor cold? We just kind of float through life with our vision of ourselves. And that's how we began. Then we went through a spiritual covering and how important it is to have accountability in life. Accountability even to our Christian walk. Make yourself accountable to others. And we are all accountable, of course, to God, but not just to God. We are accountable to people that we place in our lives that we place spiritually over us or that are placed spiritually over us. Then bitter waters made sweet, where we can get stuck in our lives and not know how to move forward, knowing that there is a promised land just down the road. But we get stuck in our bitterness, we get stuck in our problems, and we don't know how to move forward from that. And then a couple of weeks ago, counting the cost. Understanding that a walk with Christ has a cost to it. Our salvation, our justification before the Father does not. It's 100% by grace. By grace are you saved through faith. That not works, because it's not anything to do with us. But that justification that gives us our ticket to heaven is only the beginning of our walk with Christ. That's what gives us opportunity for relationship. That opens the door, if you will, and says... Jesus, come on in. It doesn't mean that you sit down and you talk and you get to know one another, right? That part of it is what we call a relationship with Christ. That relationship has a cost to it. And that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that there's a cost to this relationship. And then last week we talked about to the one who conquers. Remember in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, it was... To the one who conquers, I will allow to sit beside me on my throne, as I sit at my Father's throne. Right now, see, we worship Jesus Christ, who is 100% man, 100% God. He sits at the right hand of the Father, even as we speak. So as he was placed in that lofty position next to his Father, after the Father rose him from the grave... He said, so too will those who conquer be placed next to him on his earthly throne. See, he's not on his earthly throne right now. We know that because he's in heaven. The earthly throne is in Jerusalem. It is the throne of David that has not been occupied in thousands of years. But one day he will come back and he will occupy that earthly throne. Throne. That's what we call the millennium. That thousand year period where Jesus Christ will come down and he will reign on earth, his earthly throne. Okay, what he's saying is to those who conquer, conquer in this life, I will let you sit with me on my throne. Is that amazing? I mean, that, that's almost hard to comprehend, right? We talked about that last week. Almost hard to comprehend, but can you imagine if Queen Elizabeth said to you, I want you to sit with me on my throne, that'd be a big deal, wouldn't it? Your reaction to that would probably be a bigger deal than hearing, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit next to Christ on his throne. Why? Because we see that. We can, we can, we can assimilate that in our mind. Because we've seen that physical throne, we've seen that physical person, we know who she is. We know her authority. 
although they would probably argue over there she really doesn't have much authority. <laughs> but still, that would excite you, wouldn't it? Yeah, because you would be raised to that rank. So imagine the reality of Jesus Christ coming to this earth, being the king of the entire earth in a physical way, and saying, I want you to sit with me on my throne. That's what he promised. That's what we talked about last week. But he said to those who conquer. He didn't say to everyone who just accepts me as Savior. See, because Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3, to the seven churches, really, 2 and 3, that was written to saved people. That was written to people who knew Jesus Christ. So he was saying to all of those who knew Jesus Christ, to those of you who conquer. See, so there was something to be attained, and that's what we began going through last week. And I just want to finish it up a little bit this week, and then we're going to go into what does it mean to have a relationship with him. How do we conquer? Okay, we, we've established and we're going to finish establishing. By the way, while I'm saying this, go ahead and I want to cap off last week. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5.10. And as I'll say in previous weeks, I want to mention to you as well, in the part of your bulletin where it says message notes, at least write down the references. Because as it says in Acts 17.11, be as the Bereans did, take what you hear, receive with readiness of mind, with readiness of heart, but go home and prove it out. Go home, open the scripture for yourself. Pray, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. As you open scripture, he will do that. He will prove out what is being said this morning. Don't just accept it at face value from me. But prove it out in your own heart and in your own mind and life. So 2 Corinthians 5.10, and we're just going to cap off what we talked about last, last week. We will receive our due reward, good or bad. I want you to notice this. Verse 10, for, me, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now remember, Paul here is talking to Christians. He sent this to the church at Corinth. He is talking to Christians, and he's saying all of us, not just those who don't know Christ. We know there'll be judgment for them. But he's saying there's going to be judgment for all of us. For all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due. For what he has done, where? In this body. In this life. From the second we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior to the second we take our last breath. That's what we're going to spend time receiving what is due for that time that we spent in the body. It says, whether good or evil. Okay, now that ought to kind of bring something to your mind, reminding you of last week. It's not just about receiving the good. It's not just about, hey, you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Come on in, and I'm bringing you to paradise. See, remember, before the eternal heaven, there is the thousand-year reign of Christ. And that's what we've talked about last week. So what we spend our lives doing is going to make a difference in that thousand-year reign. I know that's a little bit different to hear. There are not too many people that actually preach about that. There are a lot of books on it, a lot of books by preachers. They don't preach it to their people because it's not a real popular thing. See, but just accepting Jesus Christ is not what, that's not the fullness of what he wants. See, he came to this earth for love. He came to this earth so the Father could have fellowship with us. As sinners, he couldn't even look on us. As sinners, he couldn't have a relationship with us. It took one of us that was perfect to be offered as a sacrifice. That's why Jesus Christ became a man. And he came down to this earth and he lived a perfect, sinless life to be offered for you and for me. 
So the Father could have a relationship with us. So it wasn't just that he wanted to be in our presence and now he could look at us. No, why were we created? We were created for love. We were created for fellowship. The Bible says God wanted fellowship with us. So when that fellowship was broken in Adam, it had to be repaired. So Jesus Christ made that way. So when we accept him, the conduit is repaired. But not the relationship. See, he still doesn't get what what he wants from us unless we love him, right? If we love him, if we love each other, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, then he is getting, he is fulfilling what he wanted from creation in the first place. We'll see a little later that it says that not only is creation groaning for the second coming of Jesus Christ, but our own bodies, our own bodies groan for his coming. Why? Because of that fellowship, because of that love. He wants love from us. He doesn't just want us to accept him as Savior, although he wants that because that's what begins the relationship. But it's so much more than that. What we do on this earth, how we live our lives, and how we interact with him makes a difference. And that's what he's saying here. Remember, it says, receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And one should turn to 1 Corinthians 3, 12. We'll read 12 through 15. We will receive reward at the Bema Seat of Christ, or we will suffer loss. Now, a lot of people skim over these verses because they don't really understand what it means. They don't like that word loss, especially when it's talking about Christians. How can Christians suffer loss when we have Jesus Christ in our hearts and we've accepted him? So, so there, there is something there that we've got to figure out. Because it doesn't make sense. So 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15, says this. Now, and again, remember, Paul is talking to Christians here. He talked about the foundation that he laid in Christ, which was the gospel. Right? Okay, he talked about the foundation first. Now he's talking about what is laid on that foundation. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become manifest for the day. You notice the word day there is capitalized. That's talking about the, the judgment day of Christ. Okay, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. That's good, right? It'd be awesome if we could just stop there, right? But we can't. We can't. Remember, this isn't talking about your justification. This isn't talking about you being saved and going to heaven. This is talking about your sanctification and the life that you lead with Christ after that. So let's finish with verse 15. It says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we have loss that we could incur in heaven. You don't hear that very often, do you? We can suffer loss in heaven. Does that mean we'll suffer the loss of our life? No. No, because Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 guarantee... By the Holy Spirit, he is the the guarantee of our salvation until we inherit the promises, right? So when do we inherit the promises? What are the promises that we inherit? These are things that you want to begin to understand, you want to begin to look at. Because it just says we can suffer loss. If we don't pay attention to our walk with Christ here, there has an effect in the days to come, specifically in the thousand-year reign of Christ. See, that's what we think of as heaven. 
Because we think of heaven as, well, once I die, then it's heaven. Okay, but there's a whole lot of stuff that the Bible says is going to happen from the moment that we die in this point in, in, in existence, right? Okay, we haven't gone through the tribulation. And if you are saved, you're not going to. You'll be raised up. The church will be taken off the earth prior to the tribulation period because the Holy Spirit will be literally removed. Okay? So we have that seven-year period. Then we have this thousand-year period where Jesus reigns on earth because many, many, many times in the Bible, the Bible predicts that Jesus Christ will come and conquer that's why the Jews killed him in the first place. Because they were confused as to why he didn't set up his earthly kingdom. Jesus, you came in triumph into Jerusalem. The triumphal entry. They were all excited. Why? Because they thought he was going to come there, set up his earthly throne. And remember, they were under tyranny. They were under the Roman rule. And break them free. That's what they expected. See, that didn't happen because Jesus Christ came to set us eternally free. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen, though. Read your Bible. Understand that one day he will come in a physical way and he will reign on this earth, as we said, for that thousand-year period. But in that time frame, we can suffer loss. That's what the Bible says. Though saved by, by fire we can still suffer loss in our reward. And I'm not going to go too deep into that. What I want you to get in this, and by the way, it's a great study. It's a great study to understand what are the rewards, what is the loss. We're not going to get into that part of it. But I want you to understand that your time here on earth, from the second you accept Jesus Christ, holds weight as to what your reward and what your loss will be in heaven. Okay, so what does that mean? So then how do we win this prize? Okay, uh, you know what? I'm sorry, let me read one, one, other, one other one. 1 Corinthians 9. Turn to 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 24 to 27. Say one more thing about this. This is Paul again speaking. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Paul's talking about running a race and winning a prize, right? Most of you have heard this verse, these verses. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. He was talking about the Olympics back then. But we, an imperishable... So I do not run aimlessly. This is Paul talking about himself. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I don't know about you, it used to bug me that here probably one of the most godly people in the Word of God one of the most influential, certainly for Jesus Christ, in the Word of God, he's worried? He's worried that he could lose what he has attained? What does that mean? How in the world could a person like that be worried? And what I came to the conclusion of, it's because we can always make a choice to change our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, it's not about what we do. It's not about the fact that Paul stood up there and preached. It's not about the fact that he would go into the synagogues, he would go into the Gentiles and tell them about Jesus Christ. It's not about what he did. It's about his relationship to Christ. How he interacted in his personal time with Jesus Christ. That's what mattered. We could get stuck in doing things thinking that that is what God wants. But we get it backwards, because in reality, that should be the after effect. If we have our relationship right with Jesus Christ, the things are going to happen automatically. See, because when he works through me, he's going to want to do things through me. 
It's not me doing things on my own and then pointing them to God and letting him bless it. That's kind of backwards. Does that make sense? But see, yet a lot of people get caught up in that. A lot of people, I mean, that's legalism. A lot of people get caught up in the doing. They get caught up in the ministry and they forget about the relationship. See, because we serve a real, live, interactive God who wants to interact with us, who wants a relationship with us. Not, not like these puppets. We've talked about that before. He doesn't want these puppets that he just does his things through and you know they just do things. No, he wants a relationship with us to where when we fill ourselves up with him, what happens? He pours out. Eventually we become full and he pours out of us. That's the relationship. That's what Paul was worried about suffering loss from. Because if he didn't keep his eye on Jesus Christ instead of the work, then he could suffer loss. So then how do we win this prize, right? How do we win this prize of these rewards? How do we rule with Jesus Christ, as we talked about last week? I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 5. Now we're going to get into, really, the conclusion of this series. What does it mean to rule with Christ? How do we do that? How do we build this relationship with him? 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 say this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. We've talked about that before. If you love the Lord, you obey him, correct? Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And if you remember when we talked about the cost a few weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again here in a minute, his commandments boil down to two things. Love the Lord and love your neighbor, right? Again, second half of verse 3, or let me repeat verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That's kind of hard to read sometimes, right? What do you mean it's not burdensome? If I can't do what I want to do, that's a burden to me. (laughs) Right? I mean, is anybody kind of with me on that? No, if I want to do what I want to do, and someone else, if, if... Growing up, if my parents told me to do this and I wanted to do my thing and I had to do their thing, that was a burden to me. So how does the scripture say that it's not a burden? I think as you develop your relationship with Jesus Christ, because I was thinking about this the other day, and, and looking back on my relationship with Christ as I developed it with him, as I fell in love with him, as I saw in him what he wanted to do with me, it stopped being a burden. See, because when we start to look through the eyes of Christ, we don't see the burdens anymore. We see the hope. We see the, through faith, we see the opportunity. We see the joy. We see the peace. You know, it's kind of like that half full versus half empty thought process. When you become filled with Jesus Christ, you see the effects he has on your life. And they're not burdensome. How can somebody who is being beaten, tortured, and killed, as Peter was, how could that be a joy to him? How could that not be a burden to him? Being beaten, we all, we all know what Paul went through in his life. You know, three shipwrecks, he was beaten countless times. He was stoned. He was ridiculed. How can that not be burdensome? But yet it wasn't. Why? Because he saw through the eyes of Jesus Christ in his relationship with him. 
Jesus Christ dissolves all that. Because we begin to get kingdom eyes. We begin to get eyes that see his kingdom and not just here on earth. And then it's not burdensome. Because we can take things when we see the hope of what we're taking them for. How do you think Jesus Christ was able to walk up to the cross? Do you think he had on his mind the pain that he was in? Or the pain he was about to go through? No. He had on his mind the faith, knowing that the act that he was now performing was going to bring fellowship between God and us. See, that was his hope. That was his peace. He was a man like you and me. He was not one that didn't feel pain. He was not one that, yeah, do whatever you want, it doesn't hurt me, I'm God. No, he felt every pain. In fact, he felt more than just the physical pain. Because he took on our sin. He felt the separation from his father. He had never experienced that before. He had to, he had to have the faith to know that the father would raise him from the dead. See, remember, Jesus didn't, he didn't raise himself from the dead. When he came and he became a man, he had to have faith like we have to have faith. But see, he saw the hope in it. He saw the joy in it. He saw the love in the future relationships with us. That's why he did it. That's the same thing that we do in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why it's not burdensome. Our relationship with him is not burdensome. Why? Because there's hope. How much hope is there in regular life without Jesus Christ? Zero. None. In fact, just the opposite. There's fear. There's condemnation. There's retribution. There's what we deserve. But see, in a relationship with him, there's no burden. Why? Because Jesus Christ takes away all that. And he replaces it with hope. He replaces it with joy. So let's keep reading verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What's the next word? Our what? Our faith. Our faith. It's no, no wonder the scripture puts so much around that one word. Faith. What overcomes the world? Faith. How do we become overcomers? By faith. The very, the very first step you take must be a step of faith. Why? Because we can't see him. We can't see his kingdom. I don't see the throne of God. By faith, I know it's there. By faith, I know when I pray, I go before the very throne of God. See, it's that faith that activates the possibility. It's in your own life, faith will activate the possibility of your relationship growing to a new level, one you never expected. I never expected to be where I am right now. And I'm not talking about preaching. Never expected that either. <laughs> I'm not talking about the physical things I'm doing. See, I never expected what a relationship could take me to with him. The intimacy that he promises. The joy. The peace. To know that I can literally, and I do, talk to him all the time. It isn't something, well, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, I've got my Bible time right now. Lord, I'll be back at 1, and then back again at 8. And I'll see you three times today. It isn't that. Relationships ongoing. Relationship is with, in, in this case, with someone that never leaves you. 
you know, I, she would get tired of me. But if, if Alexa and I were together, literally, you know, attached at the hip all the time, we'd probably talk. Although, well, we might get tired of each other after a while. But <laughs> we would talk. We would, we would converse all the time. That's how it is with Jesus Christ. If you want it to be. See, he never leaves. He's there in everything you do. He's there in the choices you make. He's there in the good. He's there in the bad. He's, he's there. So talk to him. Have a relationship with him. Let him speak to you. Why? Because that's relationship. If you get mad, get mad at him. He's tough. He could take it. You know, when we go through tough things in life, David got mad at God. God didn't kill him for it. He won't kill you for it. He wants relationship with you. Sometimes you've got to work through some junk to get really into the sweet part of the relationship. So Jesus is patient. He, he understands our junk. He knows what we have to work through. But you've got to engage. Right? And it's the faith that is that first step in doing that. We take that seed of faith, which is how we start. Remember verse 4 there. And, and highlight that or underline it. Do something in your Bible. Because that's, that's the key to everything you're going to do in your, in your walk with Jesus. But we take that seed of faith and we follow his commandments. Okay? Jesus simplified all his expectations of us into one word. See, Christ didn't want to make it hard. It already was hard. Okay, the law, when the law came out, the law was hard. In fact, to the point where no one could do it. Not even the high priest. Nobody could withhold the law. That's why Jesus Christ had to come. Because he was the only one who withheld every point of the law. And therefore was a perfect sacrifice. So nobody could handle the law. So Jesus came and he simplified everything. He said, you don't need to, need to focus on these Ten Commandments, and hundreds of these other laws. He said, I'm going to make it simple for you. And I'm going to boil it down to one word. Love. If you love, then you're going to get on the right track. Everything else will snowball from that one thing. So by faith, we take a step in love. By faith... We believe Jesus Christ wants a relationship with us. We believe he is there. We believe that when we talk to him, he is listening. He hears us. So by faith, we fall in love. Jesus made it that simple. I want you to turn to Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, 28 to 31, talks about this change, if you will, or this summation of the commandments. Mark twelve twenty eight says this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Okay, he, he, wanted, he wanted some, some listing that, Well, if I can't do them all, tell me the important ones. So I can make sure I'm doing them at least, at least the important ones, the, the ones in the right order. Verse 29, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. First of all, Jesus established the fact that the, of the Trinity right there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are all one. When you worship one, you worship three. Okay, He is establishing to him that the Lord, our God, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So he said, I'm going to make it really simple for you. You want to grow in a relationship with me? You want to have a sanctified life? You want to have this rewarded life drawing close to Christ? I'm going to make it simple. Love. Love me, your God, and love each other as you love me. So by faith, we love. But man, it's not so easy to love sometimes, is it? There has to be a catch in there somewhere, right? Because, well, I have a problem with this person. I have a problem with that person. I can't love them. I can love these people over here. God, I found some people I can love. That's awesome. I'm just going to stay with them. You know, that doesn't stretch our love capacity that much. What if Jesus did that? I'm dying for one-fifth. The other four-fifths, I'm sorry, I don't love you. I can't love you because of who you are. You know, but we make that judgment every day. See, we love people based on our capacity, based on what we want, based on our own feelings. And we place judgment on them for the same reason. But that's not what God said. If you, if you, obey, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, he said. What are his commandments? Love him and love others. So this simplified way is only simple in focus. Don't do the next one. <laughs> Sorry. I wasn't supposed to say that word till the end. My bad. Okay, it, it is just simplified. doesn't make it easy. Because one of the hardest things is to love somebody that you don't love. One of the hardest things is to love somebody who hurt you, who despises you, or even worse, doesn't care at all about you. How do we love somebody that is unlovable? We do it by faith. We go back to that initial word that he said makes conquerors out of each one of us. By faith. By faith, I can love the person who hates me. Why? Well, because, first of all, I'm supposed to. But second of all, I see beyond who they are. I see beyond how they're acting. And I see from an eternal mind how much Jesus Christ loves them. That's how we love. We love by beginning to look at people through the eyes of Christ. And I'll tell you what, it's amazing. As you begin to do that, it's amazing how God changes what? Changes them? No. He changes me. When I begin to look at them through Christ's eyes, all of a sudden my heart gets changed. I develop a burden for these people. I develop a love for these people. Why? Because I want to be with them in heaven. I want to be with them for eternity. See, it's not just this here and now. It's not just where we're at here and now. Don't get caught up in this life. If you get caught up in this life, you'll suffer loss. Because it will be all about you. But if you begin to see the world and people around you and family and what we would call enemies... If you begin to see them as Christ sees them, by faith, you're going to start to love them. And when you start to love them, watch out. <laughs> watch out what God does in your life. Because all of a sudden, you're going to be doing things you never expected to. All of a sudden, you're going to be feeling things you never expected that you would feel you would actually care for people that you despised before. Why? Because it's Jesus Christ working in you. It's that relationship working in you. It's that filling up of him that then pours out. 
and we fall in love with people. I want you to notice one other thing here, and, and uh, I know this isn't in the notes, but if you can pull it up. Um, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 7.23. 2 Corinthians 7. Second Corinthians. Did I write that down wrong? I wrote that down wrong, didn't I? Uh, okay, let me see which one it is. See if I can find it here real quick. Uh, okay, how about try six four? <laughs> this is what I get for doing it right before uh, right before service. God just put a thought in my brain. Okay, that one doesn't have it. Yeah, six, four. Okay, yeah, this is it. Okay, it says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities. Okay, and it goes on. But what's it say there? It says, as servants of God. And you know what? That's, that's not even the one. I, I, I'm, I'll look it up later. But we were bought with a price. Okay, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he paid a price for us. We were bought with that price. Okay, now when we were bought with a price, we became slaves of him. Okay, the, the, the Greek word for slave there is doulos. We became a slave, a purchased slave of Jesus Christ, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, because it was by choice. What is a bondservant? A bondservant is one who becomes a servant by choice. Okay, we by choice accepted Jesus Christ into our heart. We accepted him as our king and our savior. So by choice, we became a servant of Jesus Christ, right? It says that in the word of God. But I want you to notice something else. There's a change that happens, and I didn't notice this until I was praying about it just this morning. Because there, there, was a, there was a verse that came to my mind in John, and we're going to turn there, in John 15, that, wait, we're no longer servants. And what's he said? Turn, turn to John 15, 15. That was 1 Corinthians. 7. Yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah. Instead of 2 Corinthians? <laughs> Oops. Okay. Well, write that in your notes. 1 Corinthians 7, 23. Okay. But turn to John 15, 15. Because, see, in, in first glance, this sounds like, like it's, it's contradicting each other, these verses. What does this verse say? In John 15, 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known unto you. See, there's a transition that happens in our life from the point we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior to the point we become sanctified. Right? That process in there is us becoming his friend. Does that make sense? See, that's why we could reign with him. That's why he brings us in the... uh, Those who conquer, he will bring us literally onto his throne. See, you can't do that with a servant. Why? Because a servant doesn't know him, doesn't have relation to him. But he said, you have become my friends. So what does it mean to become his friend? Is it just through accepting him as Savior? No. We are justified when we accept him as Savior. doesn't mean we know him. doesn't mean we've gotten to know who he is. Let him work in our life. See, that takes time. That takes effort. That takes giving up our will for his will. That's why he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. See, our soul is our innate will. It's it's what we want versus what he wants. When we give up our will for him, that is building a relationship with him. How do we do that? We do that by faith. All goes back to the faith thing. By faith, I trust, Lord, that when I reach out to you, you're going to be there. By faith, I trust that when I 
follow you in this direction you're leading me, that you're going to continue to lead me. You're going to provide in everything that I need. You're going to fill me in every way that you want me to be filled. Because, see, we just want to be a usable conduit for him. I just thought it was interesting, that transition. See, he wasn't saying you become friends of mine after the judgment seat. He was talking to his disciples because he had just spent three years with them. He had just spent three years pouring himself into those disciples. He shared with them his relationship with the Father. And because of that, they took part in that relationship. So they were no longer servants. They were no longer bond slaves. They had grown in relationship to now they were friends. Now they were partners. Now they had a closeness that was far beyond justification. Far beyond just that initial meeting of Jesus Christ. They had relationship. They had love. By faith, they had built that together. I want you to go back to Mark 12. And I want you to notice something here. Verses 32, let's go, go down and let's read some more verses here. Remember, he said, no, there's no greater commandment than these. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. But verse 32, and the scribe said to him, remember the scribe had asked Jesus, what's the most important one? Verse 32, and the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one being the Trinity, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Okay, remember, this scribe is a person who grew up understanding the law. He had lived under the law his entire life which was giving burnt offerings and sacrifices. And he's saying, this is more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. And I want you to notice Jesus' answer here, or, or his reflection on this scribe. He said, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Let that sink in a second. That's huge. You are not far from the kingdom of God. The fact that the scribe understood that, understood that it was about love more than sacrifice, placed him in closer proximity to the kingdom of God, but yet he was still on earth. We think of the kingdom of God as heaven. We think of the kingdom of God as future. But see, the kingdom of God is right now. We can access the kingdom of God right now. That's what the Bible teaches. That's where Jesus Christ, his realm is. And by the way, we're supposed to. Matthew 6.33. How many have heard that verse? If you haven't, you haven't been here long. <laughs> right? Ask the college kids. They've been listening to it for three years. Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God. And his righteousness. Seek that before all the other needs you have. He said, again, Jesus simplified everything. He said, seek me in my kingdom. He didn't say that because we couldn't get there. He didn't say that as a tease. Hey, seek me there. You won't find me. <laughs> they won't find me. He didn't tease us in that. He said it because we can find him. He said, seek first his kingdom before all those other things. That's what that scribe did. That scribe understood the importance of love. How did he do it? He did it in faith. 
He did it by faith. He understood the power of love, the importance of love. If you want to dive into love a little bit more, read 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter, but it it talks about how love covers everything. First of all, that's how we were covered. It was by Jesus Christ's love for us that all of our sins were covered. Everything was covered. Well, see, the same holds true with us in our relationships to others, those who we're supposed to love. See, love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers everything. So if you're having a problem with somebody, by faith, love can cover it. Got to get past yourself. But that's the relationship that Jesus Christ offers. It says, love and he will do the rest. Now, by the way, you cannot hate someone and then say you love God. Don't kid yourself. I love the Lord and I love my neighbors. And I, Oh, except this one. <laughs> this one I hate. Everybody else I love. Or I love everybody, but then in my actions, in reality, I hate this person. I avoid them because of the problems that we have. I hate them. I I want you to see this in the Word of God because it's important. Turn to 1 John 4.20. 1 John 4.20 says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is what? He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Kind of goes back to that whole faith thing. So, what it's saying there is by having ill toward people, by having ill or hating your brother, what does it affect? It affects your faith. It's Because it says you can't. It says you're a liar if you do that. You cannot love, or, or if you don't love your brother, you cannot love God. See what it says? He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot. It doesn't say does not. It says cannot love God. Does that hold you back in your relationship to him? If there's someone in our life that we have issue with, and we just kind of brush it aside because I need to move on with my life, that happens all the time. And we think it doesn't affect us. We think it holds no bearing because I can move forward in my own strength. But see, that very act destroys our faith. That's what the Bible says. We can't love God. It doesn't say it hurts our love. It says we can't. If there is somebody that you hate, you cannot love God. It diminishes your faith for that relationship. It diminishes your faith for what God is going to do in your life. That love has a cost. It's important to understand, we talked about the relationship having a cost. But the relationship is love. When you love others, there is a cost to that. I want you to turn to Acts 14. Acts chapter 14, and we're going to read verse 22. Love has a cost. Verse 22 says this, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. (laughs) He didn't say, hey, this is going to be an easy life. Just accept me. I'll take care of everything. Following me is going to be a piece of cake. It's going to be great. I'm going to provide everything. And by the way, you're even going to know it. You're going to know it's coming. Don't worry in that 11th hour. Just expect it in the 11th hour, but it's going to be there. 
I'm going to make this easy for you. Why? Because you accepted me. Wow, wouldn't it be so much easier if he said that, right? But that wouldn't be a relationship. That wouldn't help us to fall in love with him. That wouldn't help us to get to know him by faith. See, faith requires testing. And he promises, as a matter of fact, right here, that once you accept me to find my kingdom that you're supposed to be searching for, Matthew 6.33, to find my kingdom, you're going to have to go through a lot of trials to do it. You're going to have a lot of trouble in building that relationship. It wouldn't be worth it if you didn't. Think of your own relationships in your life. The good ones. <laughs> Think of the best relationship you've ever had in your life. You probably went through some trials to get it. To get to the point where you were close with that person, to where you had full trust, you had to go through tribulations to get there. See, Alexa and I have been married for 27 years, or almost. There were some tribulations, certainly that she had to go through, <laughs> to love me. We had to go through things to deepen our love together. It's the same with Jesus Christ. That's how our faith is tested. Our relationship with him is going to go through bumps. It's going to go through trials, through tribulations. He's going to, do, he's going to allow something into our life that isn't going to make sense to us. Why would a loving God allow something to happen? Why would a loving God who wants to have a relationship with me put something in the way of that relationship? Why would he do that? You know, why would there be a trial in that relationship? And the answer is, if you've ever been in a really close relationship, you know that's the only way it can become close. You go through things together, you trust, you learn new levels of trust, new levels of faith every time you go through something hard. It's true in earthly relationships. That's been true in our marriage, Alexis and I. It's true in our relationship with Jesus Christ too. Every time we go through a trial and come through it on the other side, we have deeper faith. We have deeper love. We have deeper opportunity to grow. And in, in conclusion, did you ever find yourself just always hitting that wall, never getting through that wall in your relationship with him? I can never seem to get past a certain point in my relationship with Christ. I want to encourage you that there is only one formula. There's not a thousand ways to do it. There's only one way to do it. And that is love. That's what he said. And there's only one way to activate that love. It's through faith. So just like Jesus laid it out for us, when we focus in on what he wants, he simplifies it, right? And go ahead, yeah, go ahead and put that up. When we focus on Jesus Christ, when we focus on the simple, we can actually accomplish huge things. So what does it say here? When we focus, we what? We follow one course until successful. So that works in our relationship with Christ. Follow one course. What is that one course? Love. How do I follow that course? Faith. If you remember that simple strategy, you will draw so close to Christ. You will understand the fruits of the Spirit in this life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And he simplifies it. 
So we follow that one course until successful. We love him and we love others. And we do it by faith. We have faith that he's going to be there with us. That he's going to work in those times of trouble. Let's bow our heads.